Welcome everyone to episode 29 of the Wi-Fi Pioneers podcast. We are your hosts, Colt and Remington. Say hi, Remy. Hey, what's up, guys? Before we jump into our topics today, very first thing is I want to give a shout out to uh, at Bowtie Board Game on Twitter. Uh, at Bowtie Board Game, his, his handle is all about um, board game, I guess, expertise is what you'd call it. He, he, he's a regular gamer in the board game space, and he's always talking which games are more family friendly, which are group games, which are, you know, all, all kinds of things from family events to um, gaming clubs and whatnot. And the shout out goes to him because he's just opened up a website called boardgamesage.com. And rather than selling board games at, with affiliate links, he's actually made his own website. Um, not sure if he's paired up with some other people or not. He, he When he messaged me, he used the, term, the word we, um, but he's... Um, if you go to that website, it's not just board games you can buy with a description of the game. He gets a lot more in detail like he was doing with his sub stacks and his uh, tweet threads where he's telling you the pros and cons of the game. Like this one may be too hard for you to learn if you're under a certain age or if you, he's telling you, it's not that he's talking you out of buying it. He's telling you so that what it's perfect transparency of a product, right? He's telling you potential things you may not like so that you can go into this into these games and into these purchases with eyes wide open and, and expectation management um which i think is great because i hate manipulative sales tactics and i hate when um you withhold information from me that you could have just said hey you'll like this product better than this one because of this one negative thing well he's he's doing that with these games giving each game description is like a, a review so that you know does it fit your skill set? Does it fit your interests? Does it fit your family's interests and, and abilities and age-appropriate gaming? Um, so it's, it's really just, it's, it's how all product websites should be, right? Why you want to purchase this product or why you don't. That way you don't get angry customers who are wasting money on something when they could have bought a different product of yours. So I really like his format. The, the website looks amazing. It's a beautiful website. It's not half-assed in any way. So definitely check that out, boardgamesage.com. Yeah, actually, I had something to jump in there with. I, I think he's really caught something important because everyone who doesn't want to become an NPC, you have to have some way for families to unplug from the matrix. Uh, and that can be sports, uh, but you need some kind of non-physical way to hang out and bond without getting brain programmed and directed towards buying something you know, through digital ads and digital meth. So I, I'm just seeing a huge resurgence in people's interest in board games especially as you're trying to unplug for the day and you're just overwhelmed by stimulus all day long. And, and, you know, every screen now is a way of enslaving your attention and you just have to have some way of disengaging from that and bonding with your family. Oh yeah. Um, my wife and I, at least once a week, we play a board game together. Um, and so, and not like, not even like date night, it could just be the middle of the day and be like, Hey, you want to stop and play Scrabble or do you want to play this game? Like it'll be a, a 30 minute game, something quick. Um, once, twice a month, uh, it was a little bit more, uh, then summer came, we all got busy doing outside stuff, but, um, it was during the winter time, about twice a month, we'd, we'd meet with my in-laws and play card games and, um, getting them to play board games is a little harder. They've got like five card games they like to play and that's about their, their interest level. But, um, when the rest of the family comes and visits during uh, the holidays, we tend to get more bigger group games going and it's a lot more fun. And just watching tv and playing on your phone like 
what's the point of being around your family and, and having a family reunion or family barbecue and everybody's just staring at their phone? It's like it's actual detox time. And um, I've got some some friends who actually, even though they're not Jewish, they they basically observe the Sabbath in the sense that they put all their technology away Friday uh, night and they don't turn it back on until Sunday morning. And for Friday night and for Sunday, uh, all day Saturday, it's just in-person analog family time. Um, and if it, my wife and I have discussed it and we've been, we don't do it because we're pretty good about balancing tech time and whatnot. But if we get too sucked into the digital world, well, we're absolutely going to kick something like that on because it's, it's great. And board games are still a lot of fun. They were the original group game, um, before you had online streaming and un, unlike, you know, playing Halo online, you don't have a bunch of 12 year olds telling you they're going to bang your mom. It's just you and your friends enjoying some, some game time. Yeah. And a gym outdoor physical activity and board games are, are critical digital detox on a daily and weekly basis. Now it's just becoming really obvious. Yeah. So again, um, hats off to um board the bowtie board game because he he took his expertise he took his his hobby not just to build a social media following and to get more people involved in it but he's actually monetized it now and that's that's great we'd love to see that because that's the point of wi-fi money and he actually took a, a physical space a non a non-digital space and turn it into something he can monetize as wi-fi money but still be disconnected from the digital world and connected to real people on a regular basis. Like it's just, it's just a perfect mashup of things you like and your hobbies. And, you know, we've never been the type to say, you know, chase your passions, monetize your passions, but he actually did it, which is great. And he did it in a way that's not going to ruin board games for him. So um, just very, very impressed with that. Very happy to see it. And I hope we see more people, especially other bow tides that are um, the, the newer bow tides who are, got some more obscure, um, or spe- I should say obscure, but very specific, specified um, interests and expertise. I'd like to see more of those things get monetized in a way like Bowtie Board Game did. So um, just really cool, really good to see. Um, any other thoughts or comments on uh, the game space? No, totally agree. Uh, big one on all fronts. Uh, love to see that kind of stuff. Cool. All right, so in no particular order, the next couple things we're going to talk about are... Um, the, the always going to be with the competency crisis and the brain drain. But um, before we get into that, I guess, I think solar is about to go through a series of transitions uh, where the greenies are going to turn against it. And people like myself are going to become bigger fans of solar. Uh, so the kind of the down and dirty of my opinion on solar right now, I, I've had solar panels on my house in the past. I don't have them currently because the pricing is not, not right at the moment. But I've had them in the past. It worked great because I were I lived in the Southwest and uh, yeah, where it was routinely 100 plus degrees for like nine months out of the year. And having solar on my house brought my uh, electric bill from like $200 a month down to down $20 a month. It was, it was a fantastic setup. But um, I'm not a fan of the solar fields, especially when they're t- taking rural agriculture land and making just endless swaths of uh, solar panels and you know calling them solar farms. I'm really not a fan of that and when you look at solar versus nuclear it the question really becomes why why are we doing this at all well because because nuclear gen 3 nuclear outperforms current solar technology and gen 4 nuclear which we've finally gotten the greenies mostly out of the way to start 
construction on those gen four nuclear is going to blow it all away. I'm very certain at this point that solar in the next decade is going to make a lot of the breakthroughs that they've been promising for the last 20 years. And that battery technology is going to make the breakthroughs that it's been promising for the last 20 years. Um, battery, I'm, I'm not at, like, I'm 85% convinced it's going to be, um, some very good battery tech is coming. I'm 98% certain that solar is about to um, make some significant changes. Ch changes that means no more solar farms because solar can be, you, know, you can have your electric car with solar installed on it, part of the car. Your house won't have these big ugly solar panels. Like Tesla made the solar roof, the roof tiles. And I haven't read on this in a while, but like 10 years ago, somebody was working on solar paint where you'd actually paint the solar crystals into the roof and walls. And that never really worked out. They never got it to really align properly, but there's other variants of solar that are coming out now where you don't need the big ugly panels and you get more efficiency. I think we're going to see that stuff become available to homeowner real soon. And when that happens, and it's going to happen at a price that's going to be half or less than the current solar. When that happens, that's when the greenies are going to turn against solar and declare that it's a human rights violation and it pollutes too much and you can't recycle it and, and whatever excuse they need because the greenies don't care about the environment. What they want is the death of human beings. They, they want energy poverty because they believe that human, the existence of humans is horrible. They're just, they're Malthusians to the core and any solution that actually produces energy and is beneficial is going to be bad in their eyes. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see certain senators and congressmen and congresswomen with horse teeth start to, and crazy eyes, uh, start to turn against solar as well. Because if you can, like right now, for you to outfit your house with a perfect battery backup and solar to the extent that you could be completely off grid, you're talking like probably 50 grand for a, for a reliable system uh, that can handle a harsh winter, right? Um, you can do a cheap system for about 30 grand, but you still, you really can't go off grid. You're going to have days where you have no power. So a minimum of 50 grand to go truly off grid with battery and solar. If those prices come down to a combined under 20 grand and God forbid under 10 grand, there's no way the government is going to allow for you to uh, have that kind of energy independence. That's just going to be too scary um, for people to be that energy independent. So I'm thinking you need to really keep an eye on this market and be willing to move fast when the prices start to work out and maybe even before they bottom because I just can't see the greenies and the government allowing for cheap energy independence. No way. Yeah, I think we're actually on the verge of an energy revolution and not in the way that, you know, coal and oil enabled, you know, major industrial leaps forward, but an energy revolution in terms of what people are able to secure their freedom with. So imagine we'd spend our entire civilizational history uh, dependent on somebody else to supply all of our food. We could never grow anything ourselves, no gardens, no local farms, nothing. And then suddenly we got the ability to grow our own food through our own gardens, through our own farmers nearby. And we got the ability to, uh, to consume that food near where it's produced and, and not have anybody interfere with that. That's the revolution we're, we're on the verge of with energy. So it's going to be enormously freeing and critically important for personal sovereignty to be able to control your own energy supply and direct your own energy supply how you want without the government telling you what you want. Yeah, and that's, 
you know, and I, I want to say the reason why that's important is because of the energy independence, right? Um, I don't know that solar will ever overtake nuclear as far as energy uh, efficiency. It's possible, right? And maybe it's not solar alone. Maybe it's it's solar combined with with a uh, hyper efficient windmill, or solar combined with um, uh, hydrogen production, or solar combined with uh, hydroelectric systems, right? It, it may be solar plus something else, but you're in our lifetime, you will not see a nuclear reactor that can be installed in your house. Um, oddly enough, or funny enough. A couple of years ago, Scott Adams did a Dilbert uh, cartoon about that, where Dilbert had made a desktop-sized um, nuclear reactor, and he goes, "You can just plug this into your house, and you'll never, you know, you'll you, it'll supply you for the rest of your life." And everybody was like, "Get that thing out of here before it kills us all!" You know, everybody's panicking over it. And it, you know, the the point he was making is that nuclear technology will never be safe enough for people to to trust it because people are just stupid. Now. That being said, nuclear is going to get better and better, and solar is going to get better and better. Whether solar ever overtakes nuclear, I don't know. But the point I'm making is that you will get energy independence with solar that you won't get with nuclear. A nation, a state, a nation can get energy independence from other nations or other states with nuclear. But the individual will not get the benefit from nuclear in freedom terms that they can get from solar and and battery technology and those are the reasons i think that that every the government and greenies will turn against it um pretty soon or at least turn against the manufacturers making the hyper efficient stuff yeah big reason why you're seeing solar taking off in africa and say like the caribbean a lot of these countries you may not realize it but they're entirely dependent on oil and gas and a lot of them you know outside of say nigeria have no capability to supply that oil and gas. So they're entirely dependent on somebody else. And so they're enslaved by the oil and gas um, production system and, and the entities involved in that. Uh, and now with solar, they're able to uh, take control of their situation and and exhibit a lot of national sovereignty and personal sovereignty. And uh, I mean, on some of these, some of these countries are paying 30 to 50 cents a kilowatt hour for energy, for electricity. Um, in that environment, solar makes sense all day long, every day, even with intermittency issues, even with paying a lot more for for uh, battery backup or whatever the uh, storage capacity is. So uh, they're just early on in the in the um, evolution um, because they're in such dire straits right now. Soon that will that same dynamic will approach everybody around the world. Yeah, and that's. You know, from where I'm sitting, it's not an issue of trying to get rid of oil, natural gas, and coal. We can debate all day about the affordability of them. But moving forward, like today, today, coal is is a, a very important because it's cheap and easy to get. Same with natural gas. It's very cheap and easy uh, compared to getting solar set up. But it's the innovations and the technology. You can only innovate coal so much. You can only innovate natural gas so much and make it so efficient. Um, and what you'll have is diminishing returns on how much more efficient, like you, you'll never hit a, a, a true plateau, but instead of making it 50% more efficient year over year, it's going to be 50% more efficient than 40 than 30 than 10. And you're going to be getting less and less efficient year after year with each innovation. All you're going to get is a little bit, couple percentage points more efficiency, whereas the solar technology is nowhere near 
its end point. We have blueprints for both solar and nuclear technologies that we don't have the technology to make the technology, right? That's like they, they have the math worked out, but they don't have the components to make the math a physical thing. That's what's been holding back nuclear, uh, I think, fusion. Or I think we're on fission and we're trying to get the fusion. And we got the, the math. For, and I may have those backwards. Apologies if I do. But the, the fusion that we don't have working yet, we have the math for it to know it'll work. We just don't have the components to make it work yet. And that's why we're always on the verge of the breakthrough of that. And sooner or later, they'll get there. Maybe 10 years or maybe 100 years. Um, but the point is, there's always the the innovations we're looking at for solar and nuclear are immensely bigger than the innovations we're going to get with oil, gas, and coal. And just through the advancement of technology, those those things are going to have less and less demand. Um, so that should be something that the Greenies are happy about. But again, it's not about getting rid of the tech. It's about um, it, it's about Malthusianism. Yeah, and the other thing to keep in mind that you just handed on is uh, developments in certain kinds of energy technology that drive down the cost of that energy, say with nuclear, uh, drive down the cost of all the other forms of energy too, because people will substitute into nuclear and then oil and gas gets cheaper. So as, as we push the frontier of energy technology, I think you're going to see oil and gas and you know some of the other uh, regular energy forms or sources get much cheaper in real terms. And so that's great for everybody, right? So now that that enables a whole bunch of other use cases for those that may not have been economically viable before. So it's it's an energy revolution on all fronts and probably, a, I think, a flourishing of, of mankind. We're in a, we are on the verge of a major energy revolution. Well, and what people really don't understand about oil too is you don't take 100 gallons of, uh, or 100 barrels of, of crude oil and make 100 gallons of diesel or 100 gallons of uh, gasoline with it. You know, if you have 100 gallons of crude oil, you get one gallon of hydraulic oil, one gallon of motor oil, 30 gallons of gasoline, 25 gallons of uh, diesel, like however it breaks down. And you get the plastics and byproducts, right? Well, if every um, cruise ship and cargo ship in the ocean had a nuclear reactor in it, the way all of our um, submarines and aircraft carriers do, where would, what would they do with all the excess diesel? They'd have nothing to do with it. So all of a sudden trucking would be dirt cheap. You know, they'd be, these diesel would be 50 cents a gallon at the pumps or, or less, um, which could lead to diesel sedans and diesel SUVs, um, things of, of that nature. Like when you have that much of a surplus, you got to do something with it. So they they'll make vehicles to, um, to go with it. Right now, they got a pretty good balance of the diesel demand and gasoline demand. But as you make more nuclear reactors and you, you have a electric vehicle with a solar panel built into it, right? And then you have these technology, you know, all these, all this improvement in technology that drives down the demand for oil. They've got to find something to do it because you still need to refine oil to get your plastics and to get your um, other petroleum byproducts and, and whatnot. So they either need to find alternate methods to make those without oil, or they're going to have to find alternate uses for gasoline and diesel. So it's going to be very interesting to watch. And we're going to get to see some of this in our lifetime. Like, I don't know that we'll see nuclear powered cruise ships in our lifetime, but it's not unreasonable. It's not like we have a, sh uh, a shortage of uranium or the tech doesn't exist. They absolutely, especially with generation four nuclear and how small it is, 
they absolutely could have every cargo ship in the US or excuse me, in the world, in the ocean to be running on nuclear, which means no more uh, oil slicks and, and diesel and whatnot dumped overboard into the oceans, um, which again, the Greenies should be happy about that we're not gonna be killing off uh, sea life. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how just the advancement of technology is gonna get the Greenies everything they want and you're going to see them fight it. You're going to see them working against it. Yeah, I mean, the easiest way to fight inflation, aside from restricting the government's ability to print money at will, is to drive cost reductions in the cost of energy. So this energy revolution will drive massive improvements in the quality of life for everyone around the world. And then watch governments do a complete 180 on reversing their energy production technology as the Malthusians realize, oh, crap. This is having the exact opposite outcome of what we wanted. And we need to find some way to get back control of everybody and, and enslave the general populations. Yeah. And, you know, at no point will they actually look and say, hey, maybe with all this technology, we can feed the world. Now, it's always going to come back. They want to do the Thanos trick, which any 12-year-old should be able to tell you why Thanos's plan of snapping his fingers and making half the population of the universe disappear isn't going to work. But... You know, apparently Malthusians can't figure that part out. Sooner or later, they're going to realize, like, we can feed everybody. We can get the food from the farm to the people. We don't have to destroy the environment doing it. And we can actually, and with the advancements of technology, we can continue to grow the population, which the population is going to start collapsing in the next 20 years anyways. But that's that's a whole other conversation. At a certain point, you would think that Malthusians would look and go, hey, we were wrong Maybe we should just continue to try to improve life. and But no, no, they will double down like religious zealots. They will double down at every turn and say, no, just because you're feeding 10 billion people doesn't mean we can let 10 billion people live. They, they just want to see mass, mass death, mass starvation. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing the battle lines drawn broadly around the world between people who are pro-humanity and people who are anti-humanity. It's as simple as that, I guess. Yeah, and you know, I see the Malthusianism popping up on the the conservative right as well. Um, it's not just a a left versus right issue anymore. People really buy into the doomerisms. Um, the amount of farmers I see who are like, you know, this is this is our endpoint. This is it because they they talk as if farming technology is not going to get better. Like it's we've peaked in farming technology and ag tech. Like, how the hell can you say that? You just look at five years ago and they, we, we weren't producing the things we're producing now. You know, I'm, I'm looking at certain agriculture equipment that can be controlled by my phone. The hyper-efficiency there is amazing. And then sensors I can put in the ground to know um, what areas need to be watered more and less. And all of this can be plugged into the same hydration system to where this, it all just goes on to the all gets routed through my phone to say, hey, we're going to turn off sprinklers 1 through 10, but we're going to uh, turn on sprinklers 11 through 20 because this area of the ground is, is not as saturated and this area is oversaturated. And then, you know, the soil sampling technology is going to get better as well to know what soil impediments you got to put into the ground and what minerals you're missing. Like, it keeps getting better. You have tractors that are automated now, run on GPS technology, and yet you know, but we're not going to be able to feed more people. We're not going to be more efficient at what we're doing. Um, and people just look at it all wrong. Like, have you looked at, have you, do you know what vertical farming is? Uh, no. So vertical farming is the idea that will make uh, indoor greenhouses in like, um, in a building, right? So you t take like a warehouse that's a 10-story warehouse building or just a 10-story abandoned building. You'll make every floor 
a greenhouse. You'll have grow lights inside of there and then you'll just be growing vegetables endlessly. And you could basically have, um, you know, if the building itself, the footprint is one acre and it's 10 stories, you'd have a 10, 10 acre farm in the middle of a city. The opponents to vertical farming, they look at it in isolation and they go, okay, well, if you compare that to 10 acres of grassland, it doesn't compare, right? You can grow more 10 acres uh, in, in farming technology of a real farm on 10 acres is better than your 10 acre vertical farm. It's like, okay, fair enough. And you have to have electricity to run those lights and you got to heat it, etc. But you're looking at it from the wrong angles. If your vertical farm is built in a city uh, with nuclear technology, with a nuclear power plant, well, now there's no carbon footprint and the energy is essentially free. If you build it next to a factory that has heat exhaust, especially some CO2 heat exhaust, and you route it into the building, well, now you've just gotten your heat source for free and you're pumping in extra CO2 to the, like, you basically can make a vertical farm, a recycling plant of other people's waste and exhaust. You know, you build it as part of a bigger system and somebody else's exhaust and waste is now your heat and fuel for the, um, for the, um, for your vegetables and, and what you're growing and you're utilizing space that's not being utilized and you've created more acreage of farming where, you know, in a one acre footprint, you've got 10 acres versus a 10 acre footprint. So in a purely efficiency, um, comparison, it's never going to compete with real farms or out, outdoor farms. I don't know what you would call it, outdoor farm versus ver indoor vertical farm, but you're utilizing space that wasn't being utilized. You're doing it in a positive way and you have localized food that the ground floor could actually just be the uh, grocery store selling the vegetables. So you pick all the vegetables and then sell them right out of the bottom floor. Like, and it's not going to work. They don't work exactly like that. And they're never going to be quite that efficient, but you, you get the point I'm making is that you're not trying to beat it to build the vertical farm to compete with a traditional farm. You're trying to build it as a supplement in the center of a city where you're instead of transporting all that stuff in there and you're using other people's waste in a productive way to help your, your farm along. And that's where um, these are the types of innovations I think are going to work well, but the, the Doomer cult always just looks at those things as if they're competing systems and not complementary systems. And that's, you got to have the right mindset of it. It's uh, just, just, uh, you have houseplants in your house to help improve the air quality. It's like, well, you could just open up the windows. Well, yeah, but I also have houseplants for when it's too dusty outside or too pollen or whatever, you know, those houseplants aren't as efficient as the garden outside, but that's not the point. It's a supplement to the other systems. Man, great point. And, uh, you're seeing all these threads come together where, uh, you know, as technology develops, if the Malthusians can't control your ability to access food and energy, now you're seeing them, they will turn off your ability to access basic tools and technology to live your life. So every one of your devices will be grid connected and the software on that device will be controllable by some government entity. Uh, so they can turn off those devices if you don't comply with the current SIOP. So all these threads are coming together where you need the ability to control all of your own software. The SaaS business model is digital feudalism, and it will enslave the population. Instead, we need open source software, we need P2P info sharing, and actual property rights to own your own AI. So be very careful. Surround yourself with people who've made that recognition and are building those systems and communities, kind of like what you mentioned.
it's not just government you have to be concerned with. Uh, so two stories stick, stick out when you mention that. Um, over the winter time in Colorado, when they were in their uh, big winter storm, you had people who, with smart houses who had volunteered, gotten into a voluntary program with the electric company saying, uh, you know, basically if it gets too hot or too much, too, too much demand, uh, I, I get a discount if, if the power company can affect my thermostat setting. And they, they got their thermostat shut off or they weren't allowed to make it not shut off entirely, but they couldn't make the house as, as hot as they wanted to because the electric company had access to their um, smart house, to their thermostat. And then more recently, uh, Amazon shut off a guy's smart house features because the Amazon delivery driver claimed that the, the homeowner had made a racist remark to him. So Amazon went, oh, okay, well, we're going to shut off your, your um, Alexa and other devices. And the guy's like, yeah, I wasn't even home when it happened. And Amazon's like, all right, well, uh, we'll, we'll fix it in a couple of days. So you pay for this software, you pay for these upgrades, you pay for these systems in your house, but somebody else can go in and shut it off. And it's not even like it's a person doing it. It's just some somebody who's probably not even the same state pressing a button on a computer, and now now you're, you're shit out of luck. So really think carefully about having a smart, like what are you getting in a smart home, really? Um, the fact that you can control your thermostat from your, your iWatch or um, your iPad or your phone I've got thermos. I've got a thermostat. I just plug it in the analog way, run it and say, "Hey, you know, at 6 a.m. turn the heat to this, and at 10 p.m. turn it to this." That's worked for decades. I don't need to be able to do it from my phone. There's no reason, especially since I work from home and I can just walk over to the thermostat and push the button. Yeah, you're gonna see a, a an unsmarting of home devices, <laughs> a dumbing of home devices back to what worked and couldn't be controlled by some government entity. And I mean, banks are a government entity. Healthcare is a government entity. Big tech is a government entity. We've known that for a couple of decades now, right? So anything that goes through those, you're going to be controlled by the government. Yeah. And we're even seeing it in cars now. Some of the luxury cars, rather than make a, uh, one car with heated seat and one without, all the cars will have heated seats, but you'll pay them to have access to the heated seat. You'll pay them to have access to other features. Well, it's not a conspiracy theory or a stretch of the imagination to say that if you have the wrong social credit score, if you've driven too much this month, that they'll just shut the, the car off. Everything's satellite connected and the, the you know, cars have a bajillion chips in them now. They're more computer than they are internal combustion engine anymore. It's not a stretch of the imagination that your car will be shut off on you because you drove too many miles, your carbon footprint's too high. You know, you said something right. You were accused of saying something racist online, um, whatever. You know, pick pick your poison. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see used vehicle uh, sales start to go up significantly too to the older tech. Not even not even the old carbureted engine and stuff. Just cars of ten years ago that don't have connection to the internet that that they can't be shut off remotely. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a reversion of a lot of technology or a new car manufacturer pop up that just sells a fuel efficient car without the bells and whistles. Yeah, I mean, watching people kind of walk into this is just like watching a mouse get trapped trying to grab the cheese. You know, <laughs> you're just blown away that people are falling for it. Um, I, people will learn to love their chains and they'll brag to each other about their chains. They'll show them off for social credit. Exit those communities as quickly as you can. If you've ever read or heard somebody read passages of the Gulag Archipelago, they always talk about how 
you had the, these diehard believers who were soldiers or cops or whatever working for the government who got arrested for being against the government and thrown in the prison and they're like it's all a mistake soon they'll, they'll let me out tomorrow because they know i'm loyal to the state i don't belong in here with all you rebels and all you, you bad people and they just never realized that the problem was the state they were so devout to their to their belief that they never realized that it wasn't a mistake it was on purpose and you see that every day usually with the lefty, sometimes with some people on the right, but usually some lefty on social media who's always in there flinging mud and flinging shit and talking shit and being part of the, the cancel culture mob. And then they say something wrong, get canceled. And they're like, how did this happen? Why are they coming after me? I've always been a part of the mob. I've always been on the right side of the mob. They never realize that the mob will always turn on you because it's a bloodthirsty monster. These same people, they're going to one day have their their smart house is going to be shut off and they're going to be like, I don't understand what happened. I never saw this coming. And like the conspiracy theorists told you it was coming and they're going to go, yeah, but they're, they're crazy people. Why did this happen to me? And they're not going to get it. And they'll walk right into it. They'll watch it happen to their neighbor and go, huh, sucks for him and go about their life as if it can't happen to them because they think that they're on the right. As long as they stick to the hive mind, it'll never turn against them. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I mean, uh, you you get to worship one of these four things, and you will worship one of them. Money, fame, government, or God. You will worship one of them. And it's obvious how the first three will turn out. Like, the historical scoreboard is pretty obvious. Yeah, that's why, the, and to some regret, to, to some regret, to some um, point, sorry, my vocabulary just failed me there. There's no such thing as an atheist, right? Um you may not believe in, well, in America, atheist just means anti-Christian. It's not even true atheism. It just means anti-Christian. But to the concept of somebody who doesn't believe in God or uh, a higher being or anything spiritual or mystical, they'll believe in something else. They always do. They find that. And that's why the, the Greenie movement is a cult or the leftism cult or whatever you, you have. People turn to these, the government becomes the, the god of choice. Uh, you, it's human nature. You'll, you will repl replace God with something else that you will chase and worship and beg, beg for. Beg for. Um, you can't avoid it. There's no operating free of religion. It's just picking a religion that's um, poisonous or not poisonous, and that's it. Man, how did we got way we got way off on a tangent there, <laughs> but that was good stuff. That's all I had to say about that. But uh, yeah, thanks for entertaining yeah. my uh, curiosity there. So, all right, then jumping into the next uh, topic, why I hate marketing gimmicks, and mostly I hate them because they work. But uh, let me let me explain. Like, let me give me some. Once you start a business, whether it's e-commerce or IRL. You start to learn advertising, which, I, you know, marketing, how to, how to move your product or service. The more you learn about it, the more you recognize when it's gimmicks. And then you, it completely changes how you look at things. So um, when I had my very first IRL business, I found out that if you are taking credit, processing credit cards, you get charged 3% for the privilege of being able to accept credit cards, right? That's how they they, met, they market it to you, the, the sell it to you. So very first thing I had to do was raise my prices by 3% to compensate for the extra fee I was paying for credit cards. And that's when the light bulb went off in my head that my credit card rewards points 
is not rewards. It's not money I'm getting back. It's extra steps I'm, I'm taking to pay the regular price. So I got an item that costs $100, but because I'm going to run it on a credit card, it costs $103, right? That's what I would do. If I raise all my prices by 3%. That's every business in America does this, by the way. Every business has to make that 3% back. So all prices in the store cost 3% more than they should because of the usage of credit cards. So now when I'm using my credit card to buy that item, that $100 item, I'm paying $103 for it, but I'm getting my 2 or 3% reward, rewards on it. So I pay $103, I get $3 back. I paid $100. I should have only paid $100 to begin with. But because of the credit card fees, I have to now get a credit card with rewards points that are, are you know, 2 to 3% so that I can just get back to the price I was paying. It's just extra steps. And then, then of course, after that, the light bulb went off when I'm inside the grocery store. And it's like, you know, you go to the grocery store, you put in your club card and you earn rewards there. And I'm like, these rewards amount to, again, two to $3 per reward. Like, so two to 3%. Everything in the store could just be two to 3% cheaper. And I won't have to go through the freaking effort of looking at, you know, digital coupons and what's on sale and, you know, uh, what reward point can I use here to get this item for quote unquote free? And it's just, if all that bullshit wasn't there, the prices would be cheaper, but that's not the world we live in. We live in a world where all this shit's there. So if you don't participate in credit card rewards and store rewards and all that stuff, then you're overpaying by, you know, two, 3% every time. But all these things that they market as rewards, they're not rewards. It's not rewards points. It's not cash back. It's extra steps to pay the price you should have been freaking paying to begin with. And that's when it pissed me off. And I'm like, that's the mindset I have now. It's like, I don't, I don't put any extra effort into a credit card, figuring out which credit card has the most uh, rewards points and changing them every year and all that stuff. I go into my bank. I said, give me the freaking card you've got. And I use it because the, the mental energy you have to expend to get that extra one or 2% above to where you might actually be saving money is not worth it to me as it is. It's too much meant. It's, it's a waste of mental energy now be chasing the best rewards in the grocery store and in the um, department stores or wherever else, all this, these things, and it's just designed because they tell you you're saving money. They tell you you're, you're making money as you're shopping. And it's like, no, you're overpaying. Then you go through the extra steps to get your money back to the price you should have paid to begin with. And it just, once you see it, you can't unsee it. And it, it, it makes me angry. Yeah. Uh, don't step over a dollar to pick up a dime. Uh, spend your time and mental effort and energy, the you know the the limited amount that we have left in this digital environment. Spend that on driving value for somebody, and they will pay you. They will reward you handsomely for it, and you won't have to pay any attention to this. You know, hey, I saved a couple percent here or there. You won't care. Uh, you'll have plenty of wealth to go around. Yeah, like if you walked into the grocery store and they they pointed at a trampoline and said, "If you jump on this trampoline for ten minutes, we'll give you three percent off." of your, uh, your total purchase today, would you do it? Or would you just go, I'll just pay extra and, and move on and get out of here 10 minutes faster without getting all sweaty, right? Most people, so now boomers, of course, would jump on there and then have a heart attack five minutes in because um, they are the generation of spend money to save money. But most people would look at the trampoline and go, ah, fuck off. I'm just going to go buy my shit and get out of here. But that's essentially, in a mental sense, what all this stuff is. 
yeah, it only amounts to a couple of minutes a day or, you know, a couple minutes a month total to go through the cards. But every time you go to the grocery store, you, you really want to log into an app to figure out what's on sale and what's not. You know, my grocery store pisses me off because it's got your member price and then it's got these digital coupons that you have to go into the app, find it, clip it. And if you forget to clip it, you know, digitally clip it before you run through the, the um, checkout, it's too late. So I gave up on that entirely. I just go in, I buy the food. Like I, I don't even look anymore for what's on sale and what's not. I just buy what I need and get out. If it's on sale, great. If it's not, that's fine. It's not worth my mental energy because that's energy I could be using to uh, problem solve broken shit on the farm. It's energy I could be using when I'm writing. It's uh, especially mental energy for me is very important because of creative energy and the ability to edit and write. Um, you know, I really got to be in the right headspace for it. And I got to maximize my mental energy for that. So wasting it on 1% savings here and there and extra and do extra reward point on this and two X rewards on this part. Like it doesn't, it's just not worth it to me. Now I'll give a caveat and say, if you're a stay at home mom, you're not employed, you only have one or two kids and you're not mentally taxed, then by all means, look into all this stuff and go through the apps. Cause that may be a very good uh, use of your time, especially if you guys are on a tight budget, um, that might be a good use of your time. But if you are, um, an entrepreneur and self-employed and using mental and creative energy, it is not worth the time. Just get the, just sign up for the store card, sign up for your banks. You get, let your bank give you your credit card. If you're even going to use one, you know, and then minimal thought and energy, mental energy into chasing those rewards because use your money, use your energy to make dollars, not chase pennies. I, yeah, I know there's people out there doing credit card churning and other shit where they're like, you could, if you, you know, if you've got 40 different cards then and you keep them balanced right, then yeah, you can, uh, you can get eight, 10% back instead of two or 3%, but good God, who, who's got time for that when you can actually build something for real? Um, just, just make dollars, go out there and make money, focus on your business growing versus chasing pennies. Yeah. I mean, you're <laughs> If you're living in modern digital feudal society, you have to pay a tax just to live in your own brain and have control over your own thoughts. It's the same as having the YouTube uh, subscription and paying for it versus having to deal with the ads. Uh, it's just a, you have to do it in order to keep your sanity and control your own brain. Um, and then the other thing is, I, I think there's hope on the horizon because as we perfect P2P payments, then you take out these major payment structure infrastructure companies uh, you remove them from the process. And so you have a lot more control at an individual level. So there's there's definitely hope on the horizon for that. And I think it'll end up in a situation where just like with a gas station, if you're going to pay in cash, you pay a lower price than if you pay with a credit card. I think it'll be the same thing. If you're paying on the Lightning Network, you're going to pay a different price versus if you pay with a credit card. And then obviously people will, will migrate over it to Lightning as they realize it's much cheaper, cheaper faster, easier, and and sovereignty oriented versus going through the, you know, the slavery channels. Um, but, uh, I did have another topic I kind of had, uh, uh was thinking about as we we're talking earlier, but, um, uh, I don't want to change topics too quickly. I was going to talk about, you know, kind of these random issues we're having with all of our tech infrastructure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about that. Um, I don't, I don't have anything more to say in the marketing stuff. Um, I'll, 
I'll follow up with a Substack article. But yeah, the, the constant brain teaser of, of failing infrastructure, go for it. Yeah. And the segue is, you know, as, as all these things that we're reliant on are breaking on a daily basis, pretty soon the payments infrastructure is going to follow, right? So pretty soon, you know, what are you going to do when your credit card doesn't work? When you get all these random stupid problems like we're having right now with all our IT infrastructure, uh, you know, we're talking about, before we were talking about intentional efforts by the government and big tech to curtail your ability to live. But what about all this random dysfunction in our computers and IT infrastructure, et cetera, that we're seeing now on a daily basis, every day I have to troubleshoot something just to go to work. Um, everything is failing and it doesn't seem to be centrally directed. It appears to be gremlins chewing the wires and circuits in our electrical devices. Um, and it's so present in our everyday life. It's so random and unpredictable. It's like, just like to go to work every day, if you have to drive your car, but there's all these little gremlins sabotaging your car every night in a new and unpredictable way, you don't know what the problem will be. Uh, and there will be no troubleshooting logic you can apply to fix it. It's pure randomness. Uh, there's no internal logic to the randomness, only that you can predict it will occur. Um, so... <laughs> I, I don't know what we're supposed to do about this aside from we just need to get back to building quality products from people you trust who will let you own the thing you're buying and they won't you know be able to turn off your engine just because they want to or because they built a shitty product and it doesn't work well in the interim to keep a positive mindset just think of it as daily brain teasers random brain teasers right because otherwise you're going to lose your mind uh, so a couple examples. Um, last week, I tried to connect two bank accounts of mine from different banks to where I can just transfer money from one to the other. And th this is normal doing um, uh, electronic funds transfer. This is a normal thing, right? Well, I'm sitting down at the, my desktop and I'm going through the, the, the bank's website and I cannot find a link to make this function happen. But I pick up my phone and I go through the app and it's all right there. Like... It used to be that there were certain functions that didn't work on the phone that you had to go to a computer for. Now I had to go to my phone and this is a basic thing. This isn't a complicated procedure, but, and, and I, I went to the website several times. I even held the phone and, and website and uh, desktop side by side to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. And the function wasn't there on the desktop. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll just do it on my phone. Problem solved. My printer will not print unless I go into the printer settings and run the troubleshoot button, it never finds an issue. But when I hit print, it, nothing happens. I run the troubleshooter, then it starts printing. No explanation for how of, of that one. When I, the first time I walked my wife through that on the phone, she thought I was insane. I was like, no, just trust, trust me, run the troubleshooter. And all of a sudden it starts putting out her documents. And she's like, why did that work? I'm like, that's every time now. And my computer is not even a year old. So why did I have to do that? I don't know. But that's that's just it. Now I get a uh, issue where my internet it'll say um, you know in, you know connected internet not available. But some websites work, some websites don't. So I have to restart my computer randomly depending on which website I'm using. Like none of this makes sense. This didn't happen to the last desktop I had. I've never seen this before in the last you know twenty something years of using desktops and last laptops and internet. I've never seen these issues. They're all happening now regularly. Every day I'm finding something else. And it's just, it's like, all right, what are you going to do? What's the solution going to be? And I just, I just treat them as brain teasers now. Cause otherwise I completely lose my mind. 
<laughs> yeah, that's an interesting perspective on it. I, I can't do that. Um, they may be brain teasers, but it's so schizophrenic uh, that I don't want to try to figure them out because they'll make me insane. Um, what's that study they did with the dogs when they applied randomness to the reward system and it drove all the dogs insane? That's that's exactly what I feel like. If I If I try to play along, I feel like I'll ruin my brain and I'll go nuts. Yeah, well... I guess I, I'm fortunate in the sense that most of my tech issues aren't crucial. They're not crucial to the operation of the farm. Um, I haven't run into any yet that are crucial to my writing because it's basic stuff. You know, I, it's using Word and Google Docs and other things of that nature. I'm not using intense software. So I can definitely see where other people are going to lose their minds on this one, especially when you have payroll software and, and things of that nature. But it's... Um, just like our, our roads and bridges are coming apart, our digital infrastructure is coming apart. It wasn't built solidly. It's not being maintained. I, you know, these are digital potholes. And we're going through a brain drain in this country now because um, boomers and soon Gen Xers are aging out of the, the, the workforce. Um, not Xers so much, but boomers are getting out. They're taking a lot of the knowledge they have, they're taking it with them. They never trained in apprentices. They never passed the knowledge on. So, and worse, they encouraged their kids not to learn what they knew. So in the physical trades, there's a massive brain drain. Uh, engineering has a massive brain drain. Uh, you would think that we would have sent more kids to college to be engineers, but instead we sent them to be underwater basket weavers and other liberal arts bullshit. And now what we're seeing with uh, Gen Z is they don't want to work at all. They all want to be YouTube stars or TikTok stars, uh, not work, not learn anything. And the parents aren't, they're not encouraging it, but they're not parenting. They're not making their kids live in the real world. So you have um, boomers and Xers are raising, uh, I call them voluntary invalids, right? Kind of like you have um, uh, incels, involuntary celibates. These are voluntary uh invalids I, I don't have a good uh shorthand of it yet but these are adults who are anywhere from teenager on up into their 30s who cannot feed themselves they can't cook they can't clean they can't work a job they can't hold a job they can't pay their bills they won't know how to pay a bill themselves they're functionally invalids you know they might as well just be paralyzed from the waist down because they can't function at all you have to wonder sometimes do they wipe their own ass like it's a it's a serious question because these are not functioning adults and kiddle doesn't even extra, uh capture it entirely anymore because kiddle is just a very immature irresponsible adult these these are voluntary invalids they just cannot if their boomer parents and, and gen x or parents weren't there spoon feeding them they would starve to death they would just die so when the boomers and then later the extras die off, who's going to be spoon feeding these guys? Are we just going to have a bunch of millennials and then younger millennials and zoomers who uh, just die off? We're, we're going to have tens of thousands of people that starve to death afterwards. Like I'm, I'm wondering what's going to happen when, when the boomers do die off because they're taking knowledge with them and nobody's going to be there to take care of their, their precious little uh, children. Yeah. I So <laughs> my approach to this kind of a uh, gremlin problem is, uh, I just have a basic set of procedures that I mindlessly follow, kind of like a checklist whenever something happens, like with the printer. And if that doesn't solve it, I just move on and accept that that system is not functional today. Uh, it just woke, woke up stupid and it won't function today. So instead of spending my brain power on troubleshooting, 
uh, I spend my brain power on building redundancy or workarounds for when it fails. Um, and that's, that's how I'm dealing with it right now. I, I'm guessing that's probably going to end up being my go-to in the future, and it seems to be working well. Um, but I just accept now that our basic critical infrastructure fails on a regular and predictable basis, even if the troubleshooting method is unpredictable or the, the manifestation is unpredictable. Um, you can just expect that it's going to fail. So you, you just know to have control of your own situations to be able to not be dependent on them. Um, but uh, you were talking about Zoomers. I'd say 80, 90% of the Zoomers that I encounter are just brain dead, soulless, you know, apathetic, uh, darn near atheists, um, caged animals in the zoo, <laughs> uh, and engaging in all sorts of self-destructive behavior that you would expect a caged animal to do. Um, but the Zoomers who've unplugged from the matrix are becoming superhuman. They will reestablish order and civilizational cohesion. That's the white pill that I've seen. Oh, definitely. I, I've got a younger cousin who, uh, he, he stands out amongst his sisters like that because, um, he, he, he did unplug. He's functional. He's a um, great salesman. He knows what he's doing. He, he sells a good product and he's good at selling it. And he, um, he, he lives in the real world. He's not a digital slave, whereas his sisters are just, you know, it's phone in their face, tells them what to, what to think, what to feel. And that's where they go. Uh, and they're going to be, you know, he's going to be supporting them in their, uh, in their elder years. When his parents die off, he's going to have to take care of his sisters because they are not functional adults. He is. And it's funny because he's the youngest, but he's going to be taking care of them because he can function in the real world. Um, you mentioned, you know, you, you, when you see these, these things, um, these digital things failing, how you'll, you'll move on or you have certain redundancies, redundancies in place in general, whenever possible, this is why it's good to have two projects going at the same time, right? You have your priority project, but sometimes you hit a snag, a roadblock, a technical issue, or just, you know, you, you hit a mental dead end. That's why I, I always have like three projects going in the farm. And then I have my Wi-Fi stuff going on. If my brain is exhausted in Wi-Fi world, I walk out into the farm, I start doing stuff. Um, sometimes I hit these projects where I hit a dead end because I don't know how to fix something. I don't have the technical skill. So I, if it's not time, if, if it's not urgent to time, I'll walk away from it and go work on something else. And then later on, the light bulb goes off in my head and it turns out it's a simple fix, but I just couldn't think of it in the moment. And that's, I like having multiple projects when it's, when possible, because when I run into an issue, I can just walk away and work on something else. Now, not everybody has that luxury. Sometimes things are time dependent. You just have to muscle through and you have to troubleshoot, but when you can have something on the back burner, it's great. It's a great technique, at least for me, to just jump from one project to the next. Now, take it to an ex it's extreme, you'll have people who start nine projects and finish none of them. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying that when you hit a roadblock, being able to walk away and work on something else will sometimes stimulate your brain in a way that what seemed like a huge roadblock turns out to be a very simple solution. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah, great point. I mean, uh, the standard play I've seen work before is when you hit those roadblocks, go to the gym. Now, that doesn't actually work for me. I'm just, I guess I'm just different. Uh, so for example, uh, well, I don't find the gym to be invigorating or energizing. I, I come back from the gym wasted, just wrecked. Um, and uh, so for example, the other day I went to the gym in the middle of the day thinking it was going to you know, re-energize me, had an awesome workout, just crushed it. 
and I was worthless for the rest of the day. I was just shot for the rest of the day. So for me, uh, I just don't have that option. If I run into a dead end and I go to the gym, I come back and I'm, I am going to make progress on nothing, even if it's easy problems. Uh, so I just have to hold the gym till the, you know, later in the day when I've already kind of spent, uh, what I can do for the day. Uh, so for me, uh, it's just critically important that I don't let anything get in the way of my progress because I don't have that gym as a, as an option. And, uh, um, I don't, uh, I don't switch over to other tasks that I can move forward on. My brain keeps working on the thing that I'm on. So I just have to find a way to bypass it. That's my only, that's my only solution. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's person dependent, right? It's everybody's got to figure out their own thing. It's just, it works good for me because uh, when I'm doing digital stuff, Wi-Fi stuff, I can only sit at a computer for so long. I can only write so much in a day. Like there are people who can write, uh, there are some authors that can do 5,000 words in a day. I can do maybe 500 to a thousand and not always in the same setting, you know, in the same, in the same time. So for me to be able to leave and go do stuff is great for me. Not everybody has that luxury and maybe it's not the gym. Maybe it's, you go for a walk. Maybe you take your dog for a walk or sometimes when I, uh, when my wife and I go for walks together, we very often talk, um, the story I'm working on or what she's doing or what project she's working on. And even though it's a, it's supposed to be family time and going for a walk, we talk about it because even if the other person doesn't come up with an, a solution or an idea, the act of talking it out loud to somebody else, getting feedback or just having them listening and moving, getting the blood circulation in the body going a lot of times that stimulates your brain and finally something a light bulb goes off and you're like oh that's what i got to do next so try all these things you know if it's not the gym go for a walk take the dog for a walk stop and play with the kids walk with your wife or your husband and just tell them what you're working on they don't even have to be a, a active participant in the conversation so much as a active listener and that might stimulate uh your problem solving abilities so try all kinds of stuff you know don't don't just look at one person on Twitter who says, well, go into the gym solves all your problems. Like, okay, well maybe it solves nine out of 10. Find, find your solution and then use it. Yeah. Great point. And as you mentioned that, I just realized that that is one of my go-tos. Um, uh, when I'm stuck, uh, if I can't figure out a workaround, um, or can't bypass the problem, uh, I do go for walks or some kind of like bike ride or light, light cardio, just zone two cardio. And you can do that for 45 minutes. That's really important for your base level aerobic capacity. Um, and that's, that's what reinvigorates my brain. Actually, now that you mentioned that, I just recalled that, um, <laughs> whereas going to the gym, when I'm going to the gym, I'm really hitting it hard. I don't go to the gym to sit on the bike for 45 minutes. That's, I, I just, I find that maddening. Um, but the, the quick walk in the early afternoon to, to reset your brain and, and get back on track. Yeah. That's a standard go-to for me. Great point. All right. Well, I think we're going to call it there for today. We definitely had some interesting tangents. Um, but yeah, so that's about about it for today, folks. Um, make sure to check us out on Substack now, uh, whether it's for the podcast or for uh, some of the essays we're writing. I'm going to probably write a couple articles based off of this conversation as well. So keep an eye out for that. So Wi-Fi Pioneers at Substack. Or you can find us on Twitter at Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi underscore Pioneers on Twitter. Uh, let us know what you think of the episodes. You can comment directly in the Substack or uh, whatever. Give it a like. Uh, best your Substack's best place to go to leave any commentary. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Twitter for any questions you have on the show or 
Um, we've got DMs open, so you can DM us any questions you have, and we'll, we'll kind of go from there. Otherwise, uh, remember, nobody's coming to save you. It's up to you to save yourselves, and have a good weekend.